Hey, good morning. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you. Um, I got through my whole message first service, and I didn't tell anybody who I was or introduce myself at all. So Ryan Lovey came up to me afterwards. They'd be like, hey, man, you really blew it. No. <laughs> He's like, you didn't tell anybody who we were. So um, my name is Zane. If you have not met me, hello. I'd love to, to meet you. Um, I work with the college ministry here. Um, so that's a blast. I, I tell people I get all the perks of being a college student without any of the homework or any of the school. I just hang around. And so, um, yeah, it's fun. And it's good to be here with you. I'm thankful for the, the pastors and the elders for inviting me to, to teach on Psalms. I, I think Psalms has been just such an encouraging um, series that we've been going through. I don't, I don't know about uh, um, for you guys, but uh, it's just been incredible. Um, I feel like Psalms is such an intimate an intimate part of scripture. Um, and, it, and it feels like, I, you know, they, they've said uh, week after week that most of them have been pinned by King David. And that's true for this one. We're going to be in Psalms 33, if you want to sort of get there, Psalms 33. Um, but it feels like I almost like stumbled upon, you know, David's journal or something. And I'm like reading through these intimate moments that he's having with God, you know, these prayers sort of day in and, and day out, uh, times where he's you know, he's really sorrowful. He's going through some really difficult things. He's crying out to God. Times where he's rejoicing and happy and um, things are going well and he's going with God. But it's like almost like this journal, right? And I know that, that um, not every song was written that way. You know, some of them are actually songs that people sang and they were corporate things. But it feels like that when I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, this guy's relationship with God is just, um, this is something that I want. You know, I want to have this sort of intimacy in the good and the bad. I can go to God and, and that's a priority for me. And I think for most of us, especially if you're a believer in the room, I think we would admit that that's a big priority in, in our lives, right? And in your life, that you want to have a connection, a relationship with God. It's a, it's a priority that you have. And, and every sort of week you set out like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And that's why I, I think a lot of you, that's why you're here this morning, right? And that's why you maybe joined a community group or you're involved or um, you're trying to meet with other people and read scriptures together because you're like, this is a huge priority in my life. Um, but I think, at least for me, sometimes when you know, I leave church or you know, Monday rolls around or Tuesday rolls around, that biggest priority in my life, it starts to kind of slip through the cracks. I don't know if that's true for you. Um, but it's like Monday rolls around and, and things just start flying at me, you know, stresses of life or things. And, you know, I'm handling all this stuff and it's a long day and I get to the end of the day and it's like, I can't, I can't, I gotta have some me time, you know, I gotta wind down a little bit and de-stress and, and then I go to bed <laughs> and then I wake up the next day and it's like the same thing happened. And then boom, it's Sunday and I'm here and I'm like, oh, what, what just happened? The whole week went by and. And I, I haven't done anything with my relationship with God. I, I think that's, that's been true for me. I'll be honest. I don't know if that's true for you. Maybe you guys are <laughs> super in the word every day. And that's awesome. I want to learn from you. Um, but I think that's true. We have this priority, but it sort of slips through the cracks. Um, a lot of people, they sort of, they call this the tyranny of the urgent. It's like these things that are the most present in your life. At that moment, you feel like you have to handle and you're enslaved to that. And you can't like remove yourself and spend time with the things that are of the most priority to you. This could be good things like your family, your job, school, 
Or, or this could be, you know, a little bit uglier things like a behavior of sin that you just, yeah, you're, you're just repeating over and over again. Um, and it's hard. It, it is hard. I know. I know it is. And we come every morning with this question of like, I want to have a heart for God like David. That's my desire. But week in and week out, it kind of slips through. And so this morning, if you're asking that question, I would tell you that is an awesome question. <laughs> That's an awesome place to be. And, and my intention is we're going to dig through the word together. We're going to let the Bible kind of tell us um, how do we have a heart of worship for God um, that's continual. It's not just a moment when we're singing songs or when we're listening to some, some guy teach, but it's a continual thing, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, for a week, for a month, for a year, for a lifetime that we have this heart that's worshiping God. How do we do that? Where do we start? Um, so I'm going to pray because that's, <laughs> that's a good start. I'm going to pray, uh, ask God to inform us, and then we're going to dig in. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for uh, this morning where we can come, we can gather, we can worship you. Um, God, I ask that you would just be with us. As we read your word, would you um, just give us mercy, give us grace? Um, God, would your love just abound in our hearts and in our minds this morning? God, would we grow in our understanding of of how important it is to worship you and, and where that worship can come from, God. Um, we just love you and, and we ask that you would be here with us. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So Psalms 33 is, is where we're at. If you, if you haven't gotten there, I'll give you a little bit more time to, to flip there. We're going to have it. There's some Bibles laying around. Um, we're going to have it on the screen as well. This is, what, this is how the psalm sort of begins. It says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. I love that. Um, I will request, I didn't say this first service, I will request uh, that we get a guitar with 10 strings on it next Sunday. <laughs> like, come on, six strings, man. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so the question that we kind of start with, right, is like, how, what even is this worship that you're talking about? Okay, worshipful heart for God, I get it, I'm with you, cool. But what, you know, like, what are we actually getting at? How do I begin to even think about having a worshipful heart day in, day out for a lifetime. Um, and I think the, the problem is because we begin with verse 1, and we have all these presuppositions about what verse 1 means. And there's a danger in it. And let me, let me read it again, and let's unpack it. It says, shout for joy in the Lord. Uh, your translation might say rejoice in the Lord. And when we read that word today, when you and I read that word joy, what do, what do we think of? What do you go to? We go to like, it's obviously an emotional word and it's obviously positive, right? Joy is a word of like, if it, if it was a physical appearance of a word, joy would have a smile on its face every morning. You know, joy would have like a sort of bounce in their step like every day, you know? Joy would be like this morning for Sunday morning because they're rejoicing in the Lord. They woke up early, they made eggs and bacon for their family. They were like singing songs on the radio, like, woo, 
Jesus, you know, like they, joy was like upbeat and happy and like joy was just, man, joy is amazing, right? That's what we think of. I know that's a little bit comical, but when you think of the word joy, you think I got to have that sort of, you know, feeling. And then when you come Sunday morning and you don't have that sort of feeling and you're like, okay, I'm not really feeling it. Or when Monday morning, Tuesday morning, you're trying to get into the word of God. And you're like, I'm just not, I don't know. It was a gunky sort of day, you know, like it was hard day. I'm just not, I'm just not happy. Then when we read verses like that, you think something's wrong with me. Do you not? I don't know. I do sometimes. I'm like, is something wrong with my faith? Do I not have this relationship with God? Is, am I not like... What's wrong? How do, I, how do I get this thing better? How do I, you know, and that's sort of the danger. We start off with thinking about our emotions and we think about ourselves, and we, we put all this pressure on us. And a lot of times other people put on all this pressure on us. We think, ah, something's wrong. And here's what I would, if we're talking about giving a de- definition of like a lasting worshipful heart for God, it has to have these components and these components are are super important. We worship to God. We worship of God. We worship in God. You might think, well, Zane, you just said the same thing three times. I, I didn't. I didn't say the same thing three times. And God doesn't. It's, it's to God, right? We're worshiping to him, not anything else, not a better life, not, not a better feeling. It's to God. We're worshiping of God, of his character, of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of who he is. And then we're worshiping in God, in the hope that that God is the one strengthening you, not yourself. In all of your weakness, you're worshiping God. In all of it. And and if you notice, the the major thing that's outside of that is self. (laughs) Self is excluded (laughs) from the worship of God. And that's important. Because what happens when when we base, I'm going to worship God on my feelings, or I'm just going to try harder and be a better Christian, we inject self into the worship of God, and it severs it. It severs it. So the worship of God cannot contain self. And I know that's a hard thing. It's sort of dangerous to say that today. You might be going, oh... Here's what I'm not saying when I say that. I am not saying that you're not important. I am not saying that you are not important. I am not saying that your circumstances that you're going through, that you came in with this morning, are not real and very difficult. Because I know some people in the room that that they are. I don't think God is saying that. That would actually be contradictory to Scripture if I said that. Because God says that you actually have the image of Him. He says that you're so valuable, that 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 you're amazing. He died for you. He loves you. I believe that with all my heart, that you have value. And and I believe that God really empathizes and cares about your circumstances. He really does. He loves you so much. I believe that. When it comes to a heart posture of worshiping God, and if you want that to be a lasting thing in your life, we have got to find a way to remove yourself from it. We've got to find a way. Not to ignore the very real things that are happening, 
but to get out of your own way, believer. Because 99% of the time, 100% of the obstacle between you and God is yourself. (laughs) 99% of the time, 100% of the obstacle is you. It's me. And if we want to really authentically worship Jesus, man, we've got to get out of the way. We've got to get self out of there. It's important. Why is that? Well, look back at verses 4 and 5. It says, For the worship of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. One thing that's apparent is there's nothing about you and me that's in any of that. (laughs) Not a single thing. The other thing is that it's just true. We almost have to have this perspective, not that we don't want to like grow our, our intellectual capacity in our mind, but we got to have this, this conviction that, you know, God says things and they are right. They're just good. They're true. They're loving. It's, it's just it. And I worship him for that. I worship and say, yes, God. Yes, yes, yes. I, you know, I am feeling down today, but I worship you. I am going through hard things, but I worship you. Because what you say is good, and you are a loving God. So we worship is to God, but to add sort of that, I, I think what Scripture is trying to tell us is that, that a worshipful heart is actually obedience to God. It, it, it's actually an act of obedience to Him. It's not based on our feelings. It's based on our sort of conviction to obey and to follow Him. Um, let's look at real life experience, right? I, um, if you want to flip to Job, we're going to look at a guy. His name was Job, and he has life experience <laughs> in this area. Because um, I think it's important, you know, we can talk about all these things, but let's look at real examples of real people who've gone through real circumstances. How did they worship God? Why did they worship God? Um, so Job, we'll have it up on the screen. We're going to be in chapter 1 and 13. Um, Job was a guy who, I guess to put it lightly, was extremely wealthy. <laughs> extremely wealthy, had a lot of stuff, and man, he was booming. And he had an awesome relationship with God. Whoo! That is like, that's the goal, right? I mean, we've got everything, and we've got this relationship with God. You know, it's awesome. We're cruising along. Life is going to be great. Um, so in Job 13, let's see what happens. This is the first chapter. First chapter. So if you're, you know, if this is like, wow, this is interesting, go ahead and read the whole rest of the book, because there's even more interesting stuff. But Job, uh, verse 13, this is what it says. It says, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. This is You know, Job's kids, they're partying it up, hanging out. 14, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So all his, you know, all his oxen and donkey have now been killed, is what the servant just told him. 16, while he was yet speaking, while the other servant was speaking, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheet and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
17, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels, took them, struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another, I mean, this is one after another in the same day. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, right? They were partying, hanging out. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So in a span of like moments, you know, how long does it take the servant to run in and tell him these things? And then the next one right after him. In a moment, this guy loses his entire business. He loses his house and his home and he loses his family like that. What would you do? I'll be really honest with you and upfront this morning. I'm going to have a really hard time with that. I'm going to have a really hard time with that. And I'm going to need my church to like have my back because I'm not responding to that well. I don't know how you're responding to that, but I'm not currently in my walk with Jesus. I'm growing. <laughs> I'm growing and I'm hoping that by the time I'm, you know, one of you more uh, wise people in the room's age, I'm hoping I'm there, you know? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm there. <laughs> um, but I'm not there yet, I'll be honest. I'm not responding to that very well. But let's see how Job responds. Verse 20, he says, Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and did what? He worshipped. He fell on the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then just so, just so you understand what he was saying in that, in that prayer and in that worship, it says 22, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Are you responding like that? I don't know. Do you think, do you think Job, like, you think he was making pancakes and bacon? You think he was happy? You think he was smiling? You think he, you think he wanted to read Psalm 33 and say, shout for joy in the Lord, rejoice. Be happy. That's why I'm going to come worship, because I'm feeling it today. No way. <laughs> no way. For Job, worship was this act of obedience. It was like, I have nothing else to do. I don't know where else to turn. I don't know what else to go to. But I know I've got a God who's so big. I know I have a God who's so loving and so great and so amazing. I just got to fall on my face and worship him. That's Job's posture, right? That's a heart of worship. If you want to have a heart of worship through the good and through the bad, we got to get there. We got to move to this idea of it's an obedient form of worship. Not in your own strength. Remember, it's not out of your own. It's not like I grit your teeth. I'm going to do this thing. It's not in your own strength. It's in your weakness. It's in Job's weakness that he worshiped God. It's important. Back to, uh, back to Psalms. Psalms... 33, we're picking up in verse 6 that, you know, we, we understand worshiping God. If we want to do this and have a heart for this, or for a lasting heart, we, we worship to God. We worship with obedience to God. Picking back up in verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Uh, I'm just going to pause for a second. I'm not going to camp here long, but 
I think it's really, really interesting that the psalm starts with this idea of what we can do with our voice, what we can do with our breath. We can merely shout a praise to God, but what God can do with his breath is create the entire world. God can form heavens and earth and and everything in it. That's what he can do with his voice. Um, I just think that's so cool. Seven, it says he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. No, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. You might be like, oh, what is all that, what is all that saying? And I think it's saying that, that worship is, is this act, it's this obedience um, to God, but we also have to worship with a fear of God. And I'd be like, whoa, what does that mean? And I'll be honest, when I was, <laughs> when I was preparing this message, you know, I'm searching through and I'm, I'm looking up other verses where it talks about worship in the Bible and I'm getting all this. And and guys, like countless times when the angels are coming and they're singing and hymns are being sung and, and later we're going to look at a passage. It's like many times in scripture, this idea of worshiping God is so closely linked to this idea of fearing him. I, I just can't get, I couldn't get away with it. I'll be honest. I was like trying to come up with like some other words, you know, and then I was like, okay, stop. I was praying. God was convicting me like, hey, you preach my word. You know what I mean? And I was like, I, okay, here we go. Fear of God, you know, fear of God. How does that relate to worship? Here's, I'm going to start with what I'm not saying again. <laughs> what I'm not saying, and let's help us inform uh, what God is trying to say. Here's what I think God is not trying to say. It's, it's a very specific fear, and it's of God and nothing else. It's not the fear of man, and it's not the fear of circumstances. I don't even think Job, when he was worshiping God, I don't think he was afraid of his circumstances. Um, in that moment when he was worshiping God, I don't think he was thinking about, I mean, he was, of course, thinking about the things that were happening, but he wasn't afraid of it in that moment. In that moment, he was saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. So it's not a fear of your circumstances, and it's not a fear of man. That's important. It's a fear of God, of God. We have to, we have to arrive there. The next thing, it's not, it's not a fear like what you and I most commonly probably experience. And here's what I mean by that. When I experience fear, it's mostly because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if that's similar to you, but whether it's with people or with something in my life or circumstances, it's normally I'm around something and it's almost like it's just sort of unhinged. I don't know if you've ever been at like a family reunion or something or, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting around. Honestly, my family's great. So <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. They are, but I don't know. You're, you're sort of sitting around and, and there's a sort of tension and you're like, 
the tension is there because you don't really know what somebody's going to say or do, you know, and you're sort of afraid, like, oh boy, what's about to happen, you know, uh, Uncle Jimmy or whatever, <laughs> like, what's he going to do? And you're kind of like afraid, right? Is that not true? Or sometimes it's a real serious situation where, where you don't know how somebody's going to respond to a moment. And it can be a really, really deeply serious situation. And you're afraid. You, that person's unhinged. Or it can be a circumstance in the future, and you're like, I'm trying to look at what's about to happen in my life, and I have no idea. So I'm so scared. I'm so afraid. That is not the fear of God, okay? That's not the fear of God. Why? Because we know who God is. We know who he is. If you don't know, <laughs> you can. You can know who God is. And you can know his character. You know what he's done, and you know what he's doing. So it's not this fear of the unknown. It's just not. Now, 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 you know, if, if you don't know God, it's the fear of the unknown. But if you're sitting here and you're a believer and you know God, it's not a fear of God in relation to like, I, I fear maybe what my, my, my parent would do if I'm in trouble. It's not that sort of fear. Um, it's also not just respect. I want to hit that, hit that. If you grew up in church, I totally understand why people say it. And I think it's, you know, I think it has its place when we teach children. But if you grew up in church, likely you were sort of told that the fear of God was like respecting him. And I don't think that is quite true. The reason I say that is because Jesus was preaching and teaching and he, and he said, hey, don't fear somebody or some, something that can kill your body. Fear the God who can cast your soul eternally into hell. I don't think you would come up behind Jesus in that moment and be like, hey, yeah, he means respect God. <laughs> You just wouldn't. I, I, you know, there's something more there, right? There's something deeper. There's this deeper sense of, of a fear of God. So you're like, okay, give me, give me the answer. I just, I'm like, hey, this is a conversation. With, you know? But let's look at Revelations again, because I don't really know the answer. I'll be honest to you. I don't know the answer, but the Bible does. And so we've got to read this thing. The scripture does. So Revelations, I'm in chapter 15. I'm starting at verse 3. It, it'll be up here as well. Revelations 15, verse 3, it says, you know, they're kind of gathered around. It's just people, this is in their Bible, they're in, they're in the heavens. They're in heaven, and they've gathered around. Um, and it says in verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear O oh Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not fear, O oh Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. If I were to start this conversation with you about what does it mean to have the fear of God and worship, I would submit to you that it has to be this sort of deep, Deep, deep understanding of God's glory and his holiness, of his purity, of his love, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his kindness. It's a deep understanding of everything that God is. And because of his mercy, you and I do not have to face his wrath. And with that sort of conviction, we, we come to the Father and we worship.
I, I could only think of like sort of one analogy, and I'll be honest, I don't think it does enough. I don't think it's that great, um, but we're going to go for it. I'm sort of, I did this first service, so I'm not going to do it as much. <laughs> These lights up here are really bright, and when you, if you've never been up here, when you look like directly in them, like nothing else, you can't see anything else. It starts to kind of hurt, and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you turn out the lights, you know. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in this sort of like a, a really dark room and like, I don't know if you had a sibling or something, they play a prank on you and they like shine a bright flashlight and they try to get it up close to your eyes. And you're like, oh my gosh, stop. Like that kind of hurts, you know? To me, what, what I can try to get us to think about is that God is so bright. He's so holy. He's so good. He's so loving. He's so amazing. And we are in such darkness right? Are we not? Our world is so sinful. You and I are sinful. And when those two things collide, I mean, how can there not be this sort of sense of, wow, I, I don't even know if I, it, I don't even know if I deserve to be here with you, God. And you should almost tremble in the sense of his goodness. <laughs> I don't know if that makes, I mean, we got to get there. If we, that's what the scriptures are saying. And we've got to get this sense of the fear. I think that's a huge thing that has been lost in our, our generation, in our culture, in the American church. I mean, we, we love God as a buddy and a friend. But man, when, he, when it comes to fearing him and he, you know, there's some wrath mixed in. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know. We got to get to this place where we really have a reverence and an awe in a fear of who God is, and the fact that we can even come close to him, that we can talk to him, that we can sing about him, is something that we don't deserve. Back to the Psalm 33. So we, you know, we're trying to worship God. We're trying to have this lasting, worshipful heart for God, day in, day out, month after month, year after year. In God's strength, that worship would be an act of obedience, not just our feelings. That we would fear God, not our circumstances, and, and not the people around us. Now we're picking up in Psalms 33, and verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. That we may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. We have to worship with obedience to God, with a fear of God, and we have to worship with a hope in God. If we don't have a hope that God can change lives, that he can do miracles, then we're missing a key character of who God is and a key part of his mission. So we have to worship with the, the hope in him, a hope that, that, that he, will, he will do these things, conviction that he will. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16, another example of, of people who are worshiping in Scripture. Why are they doing it? How are they doing it? In what circumstances are they doing it? And how should that inform how we worship? Acts um, chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 20. 
And this is a passage about Paul and Silas. They're ministers, they were church planners, they're leaders in the church, and what they're doing is illegal at the time. And so um, Rome uh, is angry, to say the least. And this is, this is what happens to them. It says in verse 20, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disrupting our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then it says the crowd joined in attacking them. They just start being attacked and mauled by this mob. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Tough. But what do they do? How do they respond? 25, it says, about midnight. This is the same day. They were just beaten by a mob. Their clothes were torn off. They were thrown into prison. They were put into stocks. And that night, midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bounds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. He didn't even run. He didn't even run away. He cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour immediately, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house, he set food before them, and he did what? He rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. This is the power of worship, a worshipful heart. It, I don't think Paul and Silas were, were scared of their circumstances. Otherwise, they would have split immediately. No, they were obedient to God because they knew he was bigger. They had a fear of God because they knew he was bigger. And then they had a hope in him. And that hope had freedom from them. But not only them, it, it was this jailer, this prisoner, who, who, who knows what he had gone through. I mean, you know, days before, I mean, this guy must have had so much going on in his life. He was probably struggling with some deep amounts of depression, anxiety. And this moment hits, this split moment, it tips it all off. And he's going to take his life. And God saves him. God saves his whole life. And the morning he's about to take his night, you know, an hour or two later, he's worshiping God. He's rejoicing. Come on. That is amazing. That is the worship of God. This hope that we have in him to not only change our lives, but to change this whole world, to change everybody else's life. That I have this hope that I know about Jesus, but my friend can too. My family can too. Guys, 
That is, that is what you know, I want our church to be about. That's what I want our college group to be about. That we would see that it just starts with, with my worship of, of, of God. My worship, my authentic worship, all about God, not about self. And through that, the whole world changes. That is so beautiful. Last one, I, I know I'm maybe going a little long, but last one, we have to look at Jesus, right? I mean, come on. We got to look at Jesus. Did you know Jesus sang? Did you know Jesus was singing songs in the Bible? <clears throat> Let's look at uh, Matthew 26. Should be a familiar passage, but maybe the verse after it is not as familiar. Uh, Matthew 26, starting in, in, in verse 26. This is Jesus and his disciples. They're at what's commonly called the Last Supper, which you might be familiar of. We're about to, to teach about that and take that together. It's this moment where Jesus is departing from his disciples. He's telling them that he's about to die for the sins of the world. This is beautiful. And so this is what they do. It says, 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then what, what's the verse right after that? Verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Man, to be a fly on the wall in that room. Church, Savior of the world, Savior of the world and his 12 disciples who have left their home. They're, they know they're doing something illegal. They're trembling because God just told them he's, he's going to leave them. And they're like, what do we do? Oh my gosh, this is the most stressful circumstance I've ever been through. They eat a meal together and then they do what? They start singing. They just say, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to worship God. That's the sort of heart that Jesus even had. He's perfect. But he knew worship was, was still about the Father. Worship was about obeying the Father. It was about having a fear of God, of God's wrath. Right after this, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but he takes some disciples with him and, and he says, hey, pray for me. He goes alone further into the garden. He falls on his knees and he starts weeping. Jesus starts weeping and he says, Father, please be with me. Please, please, please. If this cup could pass from me, have it happen. But not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus Christ, our Savior of the world, weeping on behalf of the wrath of God. <laughs> scared, not sinning, but rightfully scared of the Father. But worshiping Him still and saying, not my will, but your will, God. I worship you. We have to worship with obedience, with a fear in God, and with hope in God. And, and as we come to a close and we end, I, I just ask that today... That this week, that, that you and I would rely on God's strength, and in all of our weakness, would we worship? Would you find a time tomorrow, the next day, and not just grit your teeth and say, I got to do this because I want to be better, and I want to feel better. It's not that. Would you just worship God? <laughs> would you just get back and return to God if you haven't? If you don't know what to read or where to go, just open up the Psalms. We've been in Psalms. Read Psalm 1 tomorrow, sometime. Get a list maybe of God's attributes and just start saying them. Say them out loud. Sing if you want to. You know, I know the beginning it said play skillfully and all that, but sing. Hey, sing to God. 
And let's worship him. Let's worship him individually. And then when we come together, let's worship God together in hope that he will change our lives and change Lincoln and then change the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for you, God. I'm thankful for even the chance to worship you. Even the knowledge of who you are and the worshipful. God, I just... I love you and I, and I ask what David asks, that your love would be upon me and upon us as we hope in you, God. I pray that we would grow in our worship. God, we would love you and see you go to the ends of the earth. God, it's in you that I pray. Amen.